0: Hey folks, we here at the Gnomecast wanted to let you know about the Kickstarter for the world's greatest role-playing game, The Zine. It's a zine dedicated to supporting the fifth edition of the world's most popular RPG, but with an indie spin. Created by Gnome Stew's very own Jed Ancock and the wonderful Todd Crapper, who is not a part of Gnome Stew, but is totally welcome to submit some guest articles if he really wants. Their zine looks to bring some of the great indie mechanics and story game ideas that have been circulating at the fringes of the market and merge them with 5e's adaptable rule set. Their Kickstarter is running right now and goes until November 27th. You can help Jen and Todd create investigation mechanics, relationship and social conflict rules, and even a metagame of the players taking on the role of fictional characters playing 5e using Powered by the Apocalypse rules. Yep, you heard that right. Because with the world's greatest role-playing game, Zine, anything is possible.
1: Let's see what the stew has for us today.
0: Welcome to the GnomeCast, the Gnome Stew's Tabletop Gaming Advice Podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew, so I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by our awesome Patreon backers like the excellent Eric Heimel, the magnificent Matthew Arbo, and the wonderful Wesley Botham. Today we have myself, Ange, along with Chuck and Matt, and in honor of Halloween, today... This week, we're going to talk about our creepy critters and lovable monsters. Before we dive into that main topic, though, let's ask our get-to-know-a-gnome question. What is your favorite monster and your least favorite monster, and why? Chuck, I'm going to start with you.
1: Sure. So my favorite monsters are vampires, both because I was obsessed with the vampire chronicles in late elementary school and middle school, and yes, those (laughs) are inappropriate for someone that age to be reading. And also because they're just a great metaphor for all the most monstrous parts of like real humanity, that sort of like sociopathic disconnect from the, the horrors that you inflict on others in order to make your own life better. I, I just love them as a metaphor, as a monster, and their powers are great. Least favorite, I hate giant rats because those are basically <laughs> real. And if I wanted to fight giant rats, I would go to a sketchy restaurant with a two by four. But I don't want that. And I don't want it in my gaming either. So that, that's me.
0: Isn't that kind of how baby adventurers start, though, going into the restaurant, into the basement to kill rats with a two-by-four?
1: It is, and I hate it so, so much. Like, <laughs> please, please, adventure writers, something else. Just pick something else. There are, there are a lot of, like, low-challenge creatures out there. Pick something else, please. <laughs> there
2: was a, uh, uh Elder Scrolls Oblivion quest very early on where they... Said, oh, there's rats in my basement, and if you didn't listen long enough or read closely enough, you'd run into the basement, kill all the rats, and man would that quest ever get angry at you because you were supposed to kill the cougar that had been sneaking into her basement to kill her precious rats. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that that is a good way of handling it. Okay, that's awesome.
0: So Matt, what about you? What are your your favorite and least favorite monsters?
2: So my favorite is the flumph. Um, <laughs> I know the flumph gets a lot of hate, but I will knife fight you over whether or not the flumph deserves love. It does, and I actually went to Gen Con a couple of years ago and saw a girl in a flumph hat, and I was just elated. She was elated that no one th- or that I was the first person who didn't think it was the flying spaghetti monster. Uh, <laughs> and least favorite, uh, the entire group of like molds and and funguses and stuff that exist just to make save or dies <laughs> you know not the ones that you made chuck okay but the ones from like 1e d. you walk in the room you breathe oh saving throw or die fair fair <laughs> and
0: my favorite i'm gonna say are ogres because i have just had so much fun with ogres over the years 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 ago i remember being in a dungeon and we met an ogre that for some reason the players i was with didn't immediately try and kill and we realized he spoke common and suddenly we had a tour guide for the dungeon it was it was really fun and then in a in another campaign that i was running the players were at a tavern and this local it was it was an eberron game so it was the city of sharn and basically a local mobster came to shake down the tavern owner which was their friend and he brought his enforcers with him which included an ogre and the first spell somebody cast i don't remember what it was it was fear or some some low level spell which makes a character afraid and basically i just said the ogre burst into tears And so they didn't kill the ogre, and then they went and they bailed him out of jail, and they offered him a job as the bouncer for the tavern, and he would accept payment and cookies. And I've just, I've had so much fun playing big, dumb ogres, that I just, they have a, I have a soft spot in my heart for ogres. My least favorite? Phase spiders. I hate phase spiders. It's nothing against spiders in general. But I have played too many games where phase spiders just make me want to punch the GM. Because phase spiders.
2: I mean, at least phase spiders aren't ethereal filters.
0: Ah, yeah. (laughs) We're getting some
1: deep cuts here. (laughs) Flumps, ethereal filters, phase spiders. I can just see people like running to their monster manual and flipping through. Monster Manual in the game that whose name we are not allowed to say. So,
0: <laughs> I think we can say it here. We just can't say it in writing-ish. I mean, we can usually mention it in the articles, but if we're publishing material for said game, we can't say which game we're doing it for. <laughs> Good to
1: know. Note to all listeners, this was not legal advice.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely not legal advice. So getting into our main topic. You know, what would our games be without the monsters we populate them Mm with? Back in Mm -hmm. April, Chuck did a series on fungi-related monsters, and just this week he dropped an article on insects and arachnids. Matt has also done his fair share of monster-related articles, so I thought we could have some fun, creepy-themed episode talking about the critters and the way to use them in our game. Now, before we dive in, though, I feel obligated to mention that back in April... We Gnomes put together the April Folio of Fiends, which is a collection of wonderful monsters, and all proceeds go to Child's Play. So head on over to Drive-Through RPG and, you know, pay what you want for it, because it's a fun book. So, Chuck, why don't you get us started uh, and talk first about an issue that you should, you know, always put in place when designing your monsters that you're putting in your game.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the purpose of this sort of podcast today is things that are spooky or scary and what that means is that we're trying to get an emotional reaction out of our players when we do that but when specifically aiming for that kind of feeling really all the time but especially when we're aiming for that kind of feeling it's a really great idea to check in with your players and make sure that they're on board with the things that you're bringing to this game if you're doing something something out there like burying people alive or using spiders or using you know creepy crawly fungi or something along those lines and it turns out that somebody has a, a for-realsies phobia about that. They're not going to have fun at that game, and they're going to visibly not have fun at that game, and nobody else is going to have fun at that game either. And since we're trying to have fun, it's really important to check in with your players and make sure that everybody's on board for what you're bringing to that game. Moneycook Cook Games just recently put out a flyer of sort of a consent checklist that I actually recently used to some really great effect. But there are a lot of tools out there to, yeah. to check in in that way. Yep.
0: I, uh, I recently ran, um, an Uncharted Worlds game where the characters were basically, they got the location of a derelict spaceship that had a supply of a highly valuable element on board, so they were going to try and, uh, scavenge that off of the derelict. And the first time I ran this concept, I very much described the monsters that had invaded the ship as very spider-like because, you know, none of the players at the table were particularly arachnophobic, but, you know, spiders gets everyone a little creepy, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But when I ran this this past weekend, I remembered that one of the players that was in my game actually has a phobia about spiders. You know, I have seen her shut down because of spiders. Literal spiders crawling in the room, and like, no, no, we need to deal with this because she will shut down. So I quickly edited what the monsters were, to be some sort of egg-hatched dog thing, which ended up working really well, but it was it was still like, it took me a moment to edit that, but it made the game more fun for everyone at the table.
1: That's awesome. I, and like, side note, by the way, people really think about these kinds of restrictions as something that destroys fun. A lot of times people think about it as things that destroy fun or, or make it less fun, but oftentimes it forces us to be creative in ways that we otherwise wouldn't be. And I'm not going to lie, like egg-hatched dog creatures are going to be in a game that I run in the very, very (laughs) near future, because that is awesome.
2: Well, and they also kind of invoke shades of uh, what John Carpenter's the thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole other mythos you can now pull from. Yep. Or the Hounds of Tindalos, you Mm -hmm. know, have them coming in from the corners.
0: Yeah, just because you can't use one monster, one type of monster, because it would hurt somebody at the table doesn't mean you can't just get a little more creative and pull something else in instead.
2: Right. Absolutely. A little bit of thought goes a long way in those kinds of cases.
0: Yeah, exactly.
2: And this is not always something you're going to be aware of ahead of time, which is why, you know, we have multiple articles about, oh, well, you know, the X card and making Mm -hmm. players comfortable and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's because you don't always know when you're going to hit this kind of thing.
0: And generally speaking, a quick edit to change what the thing is, you know, or minimizing that that element isn't gonna hurt the game
1: yep you know absolutely and and, you know if you're if you're one of those people that tends to freeze when you're put on the spot if somebody x cards you because you know you didn't think to ask about spiders or it turns out that somebody has sort of an off-the-wall fear that you just didn't think of ahead of time i think it's a great idea to pull in the extra the other players at the table and say okay well we can't use this and that's totally okay What can we do instead? And just take 15 seconds to spitball around the table, and you get just the coolest stuff coming out of that kind of collaboration. You get egg-hatched dogs. Right, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, Chuck, why don't you tell us about fungus?
1: Well, I mean, so, fungi are incredible. They're, like, my favorite thing in the world, and I loved—I had to do a two-part series just because if I didn't, it would be a 4,000-word article, and nobody would read that without going to sleep unless they were also obsessed with fungi. And to the best of my knowledge, our reader base is not, you know, biologists uh, by and large. So probably not. I mean, there's a few. There's a few. <clears throat> Mycologists. Oh, Mycologists. That's, <laughs> I, I, I sit corrected. Uh, y- yes, exactly. Uh, so uh, in, in this particular, like, fungi are just fascinating. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff out there. I think the coolest thing about fungi is that they are, they were classified as plants for just a really, really long time up through like, I think the Victorian period, like 1850 or something crazy like that. And they're actually more closely related to animals than they are to plants, which is part of the reason why, speaking of spooky things, part of the reason why they're so hard to kill without killing, like, animals. Everything. Yeah, exactly. Like, stuff that kills fungi would tend to kill us as well, whereas if you had, like, some sort of, like, weird plant infection, I don't know, that also sounds like a cool idea. Note that down for a future article. Uh, You could probably kill it pretty quickly with, like, the equivalent of Weed Be Gone, but you can't do that with fungi. And Because they're just such a a weird biological creature, like, they they can't move. They're sessile, right? Kind of like plants. But they don't need sunlight, so they can grow in weird places. So, like, speaking of, like, real-life horror, if someone is a homeowner, and you have some sort of fungal infection in your walls, and they can eat the stuff in your walls, guess what? You're not going to have walls eventually, because nothing's going to stop them. So, like, real scary stuff out of mold Oh, and,
0: and believe me, even just, you know, having mold in the house will make your life miserable because you will feel like you are allergic to everything because you just don't get a good night's sleep, you don't breathe right, you just, yeah. The house yeah. I lived in before I bought my house was full of mold, so...
1: Oof. Yeah, real life monsters, real life monsters right there. See actual scary real life monsters unlike giant rats which are not scary they're just gross.
0: Well, and the thing is too is like with with things like something like mold, all you got to do is take the reality and just nudge it a couple of shifts to the left or the right, you know, just and give it an extra weirdness to, yep. you know, put it into play. I mean, The Last of Us, the the video game the concept of the zombies in there is that fungus that turns ants into zombies
1: mm-hmm. suddenly g- yep, yeah, hey, can,
2: yep,
0: can suddenly infect people. you know that's yep. terrifying..
2: Mm-hmm. Although I have to say I, I bought that game, I bought the system to play that game on. I got ten minutes in till the the daughter got oh. gunned down, and I just put it down and I'm like, nope, done.
0: That's the dad. Yeah,
2: I sobbed
1: like a baby. Yeah, that's speaking speaking of things that, so you stopped having fun. I'm going to bring this back to consent. First, (laughs) fridging is bad. Don't fridge. Content creators, don't fridge. It's bad. Two, you stopped having fun with that game and you're not like a terribly like super hypersensitive all the time kind of person. Like everybody has that stuff. So Mm -hmm. check in with your players. So yeah. Yeah. So Ange, what do you think is the most important thing with these sort of, creepy crawly sort of trying to get that skin crawly kind of monster uh into your game
0: i think it's 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 usually finding the right balance of familiar and unknown if you can have just enough for the players to to wrap their heads around what it is but then have that unknown aspect Mm -hmm. like I love playing D&D, but there are certain monsters where I'm just like, please don't ask me to pretend to be dumb about this anymore. Like like trolls. I don't want to have to roleplay not understanding that trolls regenerate and you use fire to kill them because I've been there and done that so many times mm-hmm. in the last X number of decades that I just, I don't want to do it anymore. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's like, so give me something that's a little different. Give me something that you know, it's familiar enough that I I get what I'm looking at, but unfamiliar enough that I actually have that that level of, oh God, what what are we gonna do? How do we stop this thing? Yep. Last night in the game we played, we played D and D last night, but we did a little bit of a special interlude where we played our our basically friendly NPCs on a rescue mission because we were all out of the city doing something else and we had to have somebody we cared about rescued. So all these NPCs banded together and we got to play them. And when a Rakshasa walked down the stairs and the GM just described them so perfectly with their weird outturned hands that Mm -hmm. we were like, Oh, we're screwed. We are so screwed. We are so, 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 so screwed. And you know, that like that little bit of no knowing and that unknown we, you know, it just, it, it amplified the terror enough that, that it, you know, we got so much more into just doing what we needed to do and getting out of there. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Matt, what do you think is the most important part about using these kinds of creatures?
2: Well, so there, there's a couple things, but very similar to what Ange was saying, you know, there, there is the uncertainty of the capabilities of something. Once, once something's known well enough that you know what it's going to do within game or, you know, in, in the fiction, you know, it becomes a, something you can kind of scientifically deal with, if you will, you know, that, uh, you know, apply clubs to side of goblin head, mm-hmm. no problem. <laughs> solved. Uh, so if you don't fully disclose what exactly it can do, you know, you, the, the player has the option to start seeing threats that aren't there and seeing the handiwork of the egg dog things everywhere perhaps you just had a scene where somebody spilled their lunch in the cafeteria right and you're describing the mashed potatoes laying there and slowly furring over and somebody's there like oh shit does that mean that they can squeeze through the tap and attack out of the you know mm-hmm. it's like well i don't know better never go near a water source you know so <laughs> <laughs> so you know that that uncertainty adds a lot of a potential paranoia, basically, where, where it's like, what the hell is going to happen?
0: And generally speaking, you don't need to work that hard to make your players paranoid. They'll do it to themselves.
2: Oh, yeah. they absolutely will. You just have to make it clear that you're not dealing with a cookie cutter. This is something you've seen before and know mm-hmm. exactly how to deal with things.
0: Oh, I I did this to my players. They came out, Watsy came out with I forget what source book it came in, but the Oblex. The Oblex is a slime that basically can steal memories. Hmm. And the adult version of it can basically create recreations of the people whose memories it has consumed. And it basically, they're attached by a long string to the adult. so there's always going to be this weirdness there. But I have made I made my players in that campaign so paranoid of the sewers. And those monsters that, like, there was a hint, a hint of one in a scene, and they basically grabbed everything they could and ran. And, like, it wasn't even supposed to be that hard of a fight, but they just, they they heard that that thing was there, or they suspected that thing was there, and they just took off. You know, it was just creepy enough that they're like, nope, nope, nope. And it was just, it was a thing they fought at first level, so they, they didn't even... You know, like fighting it at, at that level they were at the time would have been fine, but nope, they had enough of that paranoia and terror in them that they're just like, "We're out of here."
2: Although I will say there are certain players that this plays well with and and does not play well with, and I'll I'll give an example from video games that my wife and I play uh, cooperative video games a lot, and at the first sign of something bursting out of the uh, you know the foliage or something she'll start running because she's there like oh no i only have stone weapons or whatever meanwhile i'm like running for it and i'm punching it in the face because that's (laughs) just you know i'm an overconfident bastard when i'm playing video games and it and she's just like i want none of that so you you do have to be careful and know your players because one of your players will just run at that thing and punch it i'm sure (laughs) yep
0: yeah that is that is something i've also dealt with where you know either myself as a player or as a gm where you've got a certain number of players just utterly unwilling to deal with the thing because they're so afraid of it and another couple of players who are like no no let's take this on let's take this on and whether they're right or wrong on whether they should run or attack it it's like it's it can get a little frustrating when your players are that divided that mm-hmm. they can't agree yeah. on what they're supposed to do
2: and that also is kind of a prescription for for not a good time so you kind of have to almost address those kind of things, because if you're really not supposed to be fighting the thing, if we're playing call of Cthulhu and I run in and punch everything, yep. I'm just going to keep rolling up characters all night. Yep. And at some <laughs> point you're going to have to sit me down and say, stop it. Assuming I don't figure it out myself after the fifth time. Yeah. But you know, then at the same time there's these other adventures where it's like, you really do need to kill this thing and take its, its, mcguffin because otherwise you're just going to be running in circles around the adventure all night and and you can kind of mitigate some of that with clever gming but at some point you got to say you know listen we're kind of trying to play two different games here
0: i think i think this might be veering off topic a little bit but you have to as a gm you have to be able to kind of gauge the frustration levels at your table you know Mm -hmm. at what point are the players starting to get you know, frustrated with each other or frustrated with the situation they're dealing with and and you know figure out how to mitigate those situations.
1: So as GMs, how do we deal with that player that wants to just punch everything when it's a monster that you shouldn't punch? Obviously, there's the <laughs> you know, kill the character, which is you know certainly an option. But do we have other tools at our disposal? I, I've seen some used like where you can incapacitate or take control of that player character, so there's some sort of mind control thing going on. But I find that that often leads to some some frustration with players. So any other tools?
0: Mind control is definitely, you know, definitely an issue. I I would probably be an advocate for, you know, not necessarily having the threat kill the character outright, but definitely take them down. Mm -hmm. You know, like show how dangerous it is and make the player deal with the fact that you just got knocked out and if your compatriots hadn't pulled you out of there you know you'd be dead you'd, yeah you your character would be dead and you'd be making a new character i once played in a game at a con where the whole scenario was supposed to be that the characters had recovered this artifact for a person that had hired them and as they bring it back they realize that this person that hired them has intending to use this artifact for evil purposes and there's this whole thing set up where this higher level adventuring party you know, gleaming and shining and what you wish to grow up to be basically arrives first. And because they're the higher level adventurers, they get to go in first and they get slaughtered. Nice. And like we had a we had a diviner among us who could see into the room and see that they were slaughtered. And the idea is that we're supposed to run. Well, we had a bit of an we had in the kindest of terms, we had a care, a player who was a bit of an idiot playing the leader of the party and we had an instigator as one of the other characters in the party. And the instigator understood full well that the character should run away, but convinced the leader that we needed to go in and an attack. And like... Well,
2: yeah, he's already at half hit points now, Ange. What better time are we going to have than right now?
0: Exactly, exactly. And like, <laughs> like I, I was playing the diviner who could see into the other room, and I'm like, no, no, we need to run, we need to run. And the, the DM is throwing bennies at me left and right, to say, this person has the right idea. But because of the less than smart player and the instigator, we couldn't get the, I couldn't get the rest of the table to run. So it was a TPK 40 minutes into a four-hour slot. Oof. Luckily, the GM offered, after we got rid of the instigator, he offered to run a shorter game for us. But it was still just like, guys, guys. Guys, we need to we need to run. This is the, all the warning signs are saying you run. The GM was just unwilling to take the autonomy away from the players and say, no, no, you're supposed to run. That's where the adventure starts. You know, not, I wouldn't necessarily fault the GM, but at the same time, it was like because it was such a crucial crux of the adventure that you know, any you give your players a chance to not pick up. The hook of the plot they're not going to pick up the hook of the plot
1: yeah do we think it's ever appropriate to part the curtain and just outright say this is not a scenario that this is not a situation that you can solve by punching things
0: i think there are times it's okay matt what do you think
2: well so i think globally right that that's the conversation before you start even even start the game mm-hmm. you say listen you know we're we're playing call of cthulhu you cannot punch cthulhu it will not end well for you don't do that right and if you choose to play that character who is a bullheaded idiot who will rush into danger, you're going to have a bad time, but have fun role-playing that. Yeah. But in the moment, in a game that's not normally supposed to be that way, mm-hmm. and I think that's how a lot of uh, you get into a lot of trouble with like uh, fantasy RPGs, like that game that shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're you're kind of at least at least in modern editions. You're kind of assuming that everything's an appropriate challenge level, give or take. Mm-hmm. And so the the concept of run away is not one that, that comes up a right. lot. And so you almost would have to both lay on the clues heavily, but when they don't get it, use the clue by four. Yep. You know, say, listen, break, stop. This isn't going to work. Please run away. Right. Yeah. Which I know some players are going to complain about. Oh, you're railroading me. But it's like, well, no, I'm not railroading you. It's just you're going to die or you're not. It's up to you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and like you said, it should be a conversation that's had ahead of time, you know, when you're setting up the campaign or the game that, you know, not all threats are going to be something you can take on with your fist and your sword. Mm -hmm. So it's like if you set that up at the beginning, the players may be more willing to be like, oh, that's an illithid. We need to run.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. So do we think as GMs that we have, GMs, storytellers, whatever the term of art is, that we have an obligation to always have a pathway to success for our players, regardless of how dumb their decisions are? They go in and they decide (laughs) that they want to punch Cthulhu, and, and we say ahead of time, don't punch Cthulhu, that isn't going to turn out well for you, and they punch Cthulhu anyway. Are we obligated to provide them an escape hatch, or... Is the compact for fun inclusive enough of the GM's fun to let us have fun with our player at that point?
0: To a certain degree, I think it depends on what type of game you're playing. Mm -hmm. If you are playing a more narrative style game, I am a firm believer in respecting the competence of the characters. So if I see a player doing something that I think their character would know better than to do,
2: I'll Mm -hmm. basically
0: be like, hey you know you're a professional here you know that that has consequences you know so if they still want to go forward after i've given them that warning okay then that's fine you know mm-hmm. they can they can deal with the consequences of their actions but i do think it's important to respect the competency of the characters so if a player doesn't have a full understanding of what a character's capabilities and knowledge is it's on the gm to make sure that You know, they don't do anything that would be against what the character would do, if -hmm. that makes sense. It does. Conversely, if you're playing something where you're you're playing a more OSR style game where the characters don't know anything and it's whatever the players put on the table, that's a you kind of suffer the consequences of your actions. You know, Mm -hmm. it it definitely depends on the style of game. Absolutely. What about you, Matt?
2: I'm taking notes because we've hit on several ideas that are going to be excellent for future Gnomecasts, but I don't want to rabbit hole on them. So <laughs> continue on with the, with the next thing while I keep taking notes.
1: So something that I've been really curious about, and I want to get everybody's opinion on, are what are the things other than the creepy crawlies themselves that you really need to focus on when you're trying to bring them into the game? The, the thing that, that I try and sometimes fail to focus on are senses other than visual And Mm -hmm. also something other than stat blocks. For most of us who are not in school anymore, numbers are no longer scary, except right around April when we're doing our taxes. So those stat blocks themselves don't create that visceral fear reaction, but something like a a smell or a texture or an unexpected sound can do so. So my sort of offering to the group here is, is concentrating on senses other than visual and concentrating on things other than stat blocks and abilities. Matt, do you have anything that you would recommend for bringing these into a game?
2: I think you're absolutely dead on about the senses, Mm -hmm. and I think this actually kind of ties back to our original intro topic of consent, where the kind of point of invoking some of those senses is specifically to make you uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. right? Now again, you don't want to go too far and you want to respect other players at the table, but when you start talking about, you know, the, the nasty smell of putrescent flesh that's coming up from the basement stairs, yes, that, that is a story tactic. But at, at the same time, you're actually like in your head, you're there like, oh, God, I do know what that smells like. And oh, I don't want to interact with that. And, and so that is super important. You're right. Another issue or another way to, to deal with it that I think is super effective and this comes from an article that Martin wrote way back in the day, uphill both ways in the snow, um, <laughs> is uh, repetition, right? So we talked about, you know, the unknown and we talked about seeing evidence of, of monsters and, and this uh, sensory evidence that you're talking about. And you want to start early and you want to hit it again and again and again and again. And you want to put it all over the place. And then, you know, when they're somewhere they think is safe, they've gone home from monster hunting for the night and they're back to their apartment. Do they catch a whiff of that? And is it stuck in their shirt or is it outside? We're not sure. And so, you know, you're you're pulling those details repeatedly and all over the place and it puts everybody off balance. And I think that's important.
0: I think if you if you have the capabilities of doing it, sound is amazing as well. I can't do it, but my my friend uh, Alana does this weird little high-pitched chittering noise that sounds almost like digital mechanical, and she used it in a campaign where humans were being taken over by AI nanites, and the only clue was that little tiny noise she would make. And, like, her players got so keyed to that noise that all she needed to do was make that tiny little noise and they would all be completely on edge and looking for the nearest, you know, nanite zombie. So, like, being able to make those noises that kind of evoke that feeling of other from the monsters is also really powerful.
1: That's excellent. So, like, a a sensory
2: shorthand, almost, is what it sounds like. Yeah. And this is another place where soundtracks and ambient noise mm-hmm. can be really powerful you know if you play the right background noise very low but with the right tones it can kind of set everybody on on edge to begin with and and make everybody just kind of generally uncomfortable to start with mm-hmm. yeah
0: I think we should we we've covered a lot of aspects of adding monsters to your game we should probably start getting out of here but any last thoughts Chuck let's start with you
1: Really, just the main thing is, is don't be afraid to to be creative, to bring in new things, and uh, don't be ashamed of re-skinning. You can even use mm-hmm. a giant rat if you make it look like something else. So there are a lot of options available to you, and it doesn't need to be all math all the
2: time.
0: Like an egg hatch dog.
2: Like an egg hatch dog, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. Matt, how about you?
2: You can even use a giant rat. That's actually something else reskinned as a giant rat. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you know, once the second alien mouth comes out of its face, you know you're not really dealing with a giant rat.
0: Exactly.
2: <sighs> so I guess closing thoughts, Flumps rule. Excellent. <laughs> Ange, any closing thoughts from you?
0: No, no. I think I think we've we've hit a lot of lot of points and you know, like you like you said, just be creative. Just be creative. Don't be afraid to take a stat block from something else and just give it a new appearance and a new look. That way you're not, you're not having to do a whole lot of work on your end as the GM, but you're still giving your players that new experience.
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Excellent.
0: So, this show is funded by the Gnomestew Patreon. You too can become a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnomestew website to the Gnomestew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by Monoway, the universal monster calming scent that comes in either a spray or a diffuser, sure to help you calm the territorial raging of any monster as they try and defend their territory. Having trouble with your gelatinous cube getting along with its neighboring rust monster? Try MONOWAY in your dungeon today. Type in GNOME in all caps and get a 15% discount. If you're enjoying the GNOME cast, you'll probably, like many of the other Misdirected Mark shows, here's one to check out.
1: Down with D&D. Chris and the mad wizard Sean Merwin dish about everything D&D with a focus on the brand and newest edition of the world's most popular tabletop RPG.
0: That RPG we can't cu- we can't name. <laughs> <laughs> you can find all of us at gnomestew.com, at gnomestew on Twitter, and gnomestew on Facebook. Gnomes, where else can we find you on the internet? Chuck.
1: You can find me at innocuouschuck on
2: twitter.com. Matt? Uh, nowhere, because I, I don't hang out on the internet too much. How about you, Ange?
0: <laughs> you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as orikez O-R-I-K-E-S 13 O-R-I-K-E-S-13. But as always, just a warning, my Instagram is mostly pictures of my cats. So, do you think we avoided the stew this week?
1: Only a monster would throw us in.
0: Ha! Ah.
2: Wah,
1: wah Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs.
2: I'm trying to formulate a thought here. Uh, Rob will have to edit out about 30 seconds.